Hello, neighbor. Welcome back to Mojave Memories. Stories and essays written by Annalise Cooper. Music and editing done by Cattell Byers. We're glad you joined us here in North Joshua Tree on Copper Mountain Mesa. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor. This podcast was created using the Anchor app. Anchor is a free podcast platform that allows anyone to record their own podcast free of charge. So even if you're not an audio engineer, this free and easy to use app makes it simple. The Anchor app even distributes your podcast for you for free. So go to anchor.fm and download the app today to get started for free. Hi, it's me, Annalise, and the next story I'm going to read you out of my book, Memory Dam, is entitled Dentists and Desert Rainstorms. It's about meeting my honey, Jim. I was a very bitter single lady living up here on Copper Mountain Mesa. I had declared I would never have another relationship in my life. I was completely disillusioned and disappointed. And one day God said to me, The man for you will come walking up to your door. And that is actually exactly what happened. So let me read you the story. (laughs) And here we go. Dentists and desert rainstorms. And this took place in about 1998. Jim walked out of the dentist's office with pain written all over his face. His teeth had been bothering him for years, and he had finally found a dentist willing to accept the county's medically indigent adults insurance, which only the poorest of poor people are eligible for and hardly a medical practitioner accepts. All of Jim's top teeth had just been ripped unceremoniously out of his head with the most minimal pain medication or human kindness. Poor Jim had pieces of gauze falling out of his mouth and blood oozed between his lips. I listened as the dentist described the symptoms that Jim would experience for the next couple of weeks. Then, when your gums are healed as much as they're going to, we'll slap a set of false teeth in there for you, okay? The dentist beamed at me, gave Jim a pitying glance and handed him his prescription. See you next time, he called cheerfully over his shoulder as he walked off. I helped Jim out to the car. It was pouring rain, pouring rain, courtesy of El Nino 97. So I drove the 30 miles home cautiously. Up in the high desert, we don't see a lot of rain, but this year had been exceptionally wet. Puddles had formed across the remote dirt road high on the mesa where we live, and I carefully skirted the deeper parts. Jim groaned and whimpered every time I hit a bump, which was frequently. Finally, I stopped the car, feeling anxious about all the rain and very concerned about Jim's pain. He mumbled something at me through the gauze in his mouth, but I couldn't understand him. Then he ripped the gauze out, whimpering loudly, his eyes full of pain and tears. I have to keep pressure on my gums to stop the bleeding, but I can't get the gauze in there right, he lisped through swollen tongue and lips. The last time I had seen Jim in such pain was the day I offered to let him move into my garage, two years before. At that time, I had already lived out in this remote part of California for a few years. 
I was a single mother, having barely survived my second divorce, and I just wanted the world to leave me alone. Certainly the last thing I wanted was a romantic involvement with anyone. Life had been very tough for me, and I had developed a debilitating skin disease, which prevented me from doing much of the work in and around my own home. Employment was not even in the realm of possibilities, as in addition to my major skin problems, I was also experiencing frequent panic attacks, usually brought on by being in close proximity to strangers, like in grocery stores, offices, etc. The only place I felt safe was on top of my remote mesa, surrounded by panoramic views, creosotes and coyotes. I received a little money from the county, which barely supported my son and me. My ex-husband was not paying court-ordered child support, so we struggled to make ends meet, hauled our own water from a nearby well, and negotiated with the desert to allow us to live here. We did not have a phone or a vehicle, and I hitched a ride with neighbours if I had to go shopping for supplies in the nearest town, 25 miles away. I paid neighbours to transport my son to and from the school bus stop. In October 95, Julie, my neighbour to the north, brought her Uncle Jim over to meet me. I thought he was very handsome in a Sam Elliott kind of way and found myself giggling more girlishly than I had in years. Julie told me that Jim was down on his luck. His wife had died, his two children had chosen to live with their mother's sister, and Jim had no job and no place to stay. So Julie was letting him stay with her for a while in exchange for Jim's help with work around her place. Jim started coming over to visit me regularly and we talked openly and emotionally. He would often start to sing me a pretty song, except his voice would crack and he would cry as though his heart was breaking. I knew he felt very depressed and lonely, especially since he had lost his guitar to a pawn shop. Even though there was no denying we found each other very attractive, I was determined not to fall for this unpredictable and fascinating man. After about five weeks, Jim told me he was going to have to move on because Julie had run out of work for him around her place and was finding it too expensive to feed him. He had no idea where to go and I was very sad at the thought of him leaving. He seemed so lonely and alone. Maybe I could try to find my kids in Washington, he said, his voice unsure. But I don't really know where they are, and I don't know if they would be happy to see me. They were very angry with me after my wife died because I fell apart, got into drugs, and didn't take care of them the way I should have. They have no idea where I am, and there were a lot of bad feelings between me and my wife's family. They basically shoved me out into the cold and took my kids, and I didn't have the strength to do anything about it. It was all a big mess, and my kids were too young to fully realize what was happening. Jim sighed and hung his head. My biggest problem is my dog. If I can't feed myself and get a place to stay, how the hell am I going to take care of Hooch? Crazy thoughts started running through my head. How much I liked and admired Jim, how hard it was to get work done around my place, how nice it would be to have a man around the place to do the hard work so I could rest up and let my skin heal. Crazy thoughts, like I said, and I brushed them right out the door. The last thing I needed or wanted was a man around. A few days later, I was outside when I heard a terrible dog fight up at Julie's place. 
Looking around the 10 acres or so that separated our properties, I could see Jim, Julie, and Julie's children frantically trying to break up a fight between Julie's two dogs and Jim's beautiful chow-like dog, Hooch. Finally, after several nerve-wracking minutes, the fight was over and I watched Jim lead a limping Hooch over to the hose. Later on, I walked up to see how Hooch was doing. Hearing muffled sounds behind Julie's shed, I rounded the corner and there was Jim with Hooch at his side. Hooch was covered in blood, his ears were badly ripped and his eyes were filled with such sadness I couldn't bear it. Jim's head was on his arms, which rested on his drawn-up knees, and he was crying pitifully, mournfully. Hi, I said softly. He did not move, just sniffed loudly, obviously trying to control himself. I reached out my hand to Hooch, and he licked it gently. Were you in a fight, Hoochie Poochie? I asked. Did you kick their butts? Yeah, they're pretty messed up, said Jim, wiping his swollen eyes on his sleeve and trying to smile. You wouldn't have a cigarette, would you? I lit one and gave it to him. He took a deep drag and blew the smoke out into the wind. I sat down next to him in the dirt and we shared the cigarette in silence. Julie says I have to be out by the weekend. That dogfight did it, so I'm gonna have to hit the road again and I guess I'll take Hooch to the pound. Jim's shoulders started heaving again at the thought of dumping his best friend at the pound and I felt so sorry for them. Those crazy thoughts started pouring in again. How kind Jim was. What a nice dog Hooch was. How much Jim could help me with the workload. Maybe he could get a job around here and help me financially. All the thoughts that come before a major codependent rescue operation. Then, in a much deeper voice, an arresting thought came into my head. Jim is a child of God too, and he needs help. If he was a fuzzy kitten or a dog or a child or a horse or a bird or a snake, you would take him in and help him. But because he's a big, hairy, stinky dude, you're going to turn him out in the cold. The winter is coming and Jim and Hooch have nowhere to go. They could move into the garage and help you through the winter. And then they could move on in the spring. It had taken me years to curb my impulsive tongue and I managed to keep my thoughts to myself. I needed to be alone to think things out before making a reckless offer. Why don't you come over later and I'll make you a cup of coffee, I said, trying to sound casual. Okay, thanks, I will, said Jim politely. I rose to my feet and walked back across the stretch of desert to my house. During the hours that followed, I kept trying to persuade myself that this was a really stupid idea I was having. I absolutely do not need to get into this, I kept telling myself, and I'm not obliged to rescue every creature that comes floating in on the wind. When Jim knocked on the door, I invited him in and gave him some coffee. I asked him if he had any idea what he was going to do. Not really, he said. I think I'll just start walking and follow Hooch for a while. He usually takes me to some pretty interesting places. He took a sip of his coffee this isn't the first time I haven't had a roof over my head, you know, he said, and he looked at me intently. It's really not that bad. It takes a minute to get used to, but once I'm back in the hustle of things, Hooch and I'll have three square meals a day picked out of some of the most exclusive dumpsters in town. I still have my sleeping bag and my blanket. 
So all I need to do is find a place to sleep, preferably not too far out of town, where it's easier to get water and food. The thought of this gentle poet digging for food in a dumpster almost broke my heart. I searched his eyes for signs that he was running a con on me, trying to get my sympathy. I saw only honesty, sincerity, a desperate need to be accepted without judgment and deep, gut-wrenching pain. Well, Jim, I stammered, not quite knowing what to say. I sensed deep pride in this man and I didn't want him to feel like he was a charity case. I'd like you to come and stay in my garage for the winter, I continued. I have a lot of work that needs to be done around here and I'm not able to do it because my hands aren't healed yet. I could really use your help and of course you'd have full use of the kitchen and bathroom and we'll feed you out of whatever we're having. Hooch already knows my dogs and they get along well. It won't be easy, but you'd be welcome. Slowly, he started nodding his head and then he looked up at me. Okay, he said, his voice low. That would be great. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Later that evening, I discovered how well our bodies fit together when we hugged and that I loved the way he kisses. He moved in that weekend. Not one single night did he ever sleep in that garage and the pain had gone from his eyes until now. Carefully, I packed the blood-stained gauze onto Jim's ripped gums. Huge craters flowed blood and his soft whimpers hurt my ears. That damn dentist is a bloody butcher, I exclaimed. Jim's eyes overflowed with tears. I wanted to be buried with my teeth in my skull, he moaned, then clutched his face as the pain shot through him again. The rain thundered on the roof of the car and the road was like a flowing river. I drove the car as though we were in the East African Safari Rally. Sheets of water spouted out from under the old station wagon. The peaceful atmosphere of our home and some strong painkillers soon soothed Jim. With time, his gums healed somewhat, but he still can't wear the false teeth because his mouth has never stopped hurting. I don't care. I think he's handsome anyway, and he's the best man I've ever known, with or without his teeth. <laughs> I was going to say, here comes Cattell. <laughs> here comes the limping Cattell. Cattell uh, hurt her leg and her foot. I stubbed my toe, and yes. then my calf went into some sort of bizarre... Yeah, I can't think of the word, like cramp. Cramp, yeah. Terrible cramp. Bizarre yeah, cramp. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it is a dangerous thing when you let creatures pass over your threshold. I'm exactly the same way as you are. I, I'm very hesitant to let a creature pass my threshold because I have no um, heart to kick a person or an no, animal out. No. And, I, and I am more likely to let an animal in. When you were reading yes. about that whole thing about, you know, you know, we'll let animals into our lives, but we won't help one another. We won't help no, human beings. No, no, we won't. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the thing is when you help human beings, I mean, I've had experience in this business. Human beings are wonderful and they move in and they're going to help you with this and they're going to help you with that. And the next thing you know, they've taken over your entire house. They've moved in all their crap from all the four other houses they've ever stayed in and you're completely buried and you can't get rid of them. <laughs> 
I'm going to stay out of that because I'm just going to be causing trouble for myself down the line. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, Jim, no, is, Jim is still there. It's, uh, what, 25 years later. We celebrated our... And we never got married. I feel like that was one of the things that I needed. I've been married twice. And every time I get married, I feel like I belong to the person mm -hmm. that I married. And I no longer have agency over my own opinions. I have no rights over my own body. And so Jim and I not, never got married. He wanted to, but no. Uh -uh. So I, I think that's like the, um, the, the key to our success. Although, is this a wonderful, romantic, beautiful relationship? Are we still dancing and going for long beach walks? Uh, no. We spend a great deal on the couch watching television. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love you, Cattell. We're having really a lot of fun with these um, podcasts. Hope you're enjoying and sending you lots of sand and sunlight. Stay well, neighbors. Bye.